Hello and welcome to the Bridge City Church podcast. If you would like to get connected, you can find us on Facebook at Bridge City Church or come along to our Sunday service at 10am. We'd love to have a coffee and a chat. We hope you enjoy this week's message. See you at church. I've been reading uh, the Bible since I was a child. And uh, I must confess that for many of those years that I was reading the book, reading the Bible, I was reading it like it was just information uh, about God. And that's okay because we need to know information about God. But then uh, one day, a few years back, I realised that in the Gospels, um, Jesus was revealing to us the very nature of God. He wasn't just preaching healing people, raising the dead, performing miracles, you know, feeding thousands of people all at one time, um, walking on water, calming storms. He wasn't doing all those things just to fill in his days. He was, in fact, doing these things to show us that what the very nature of God is like. And uh, Jesus was qualified to do this because... He was God in an earthly suit. That is, he was God in an earthly body. And I'm just going to talk about this for a moment. As you know, there is one God who consists of three distinct persons with unique roles who make up the Trinity. That is the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. All three members of the Trinity are fully God and function in unity with each other. Right, this is a bit hard to grasp sometimes. Yet they are one God, not three. So at any one time, God is the Father, God is Jesus the Son, and he is also the Holy Spirit, all at once. So we can see that Jesus is Almighty God himself. He's got all the characteristics of God. And when I began to read the Gospels with the mindset that This is God speaking directly to us, speaking directly to the people and revealing his nature to them. It changed the way that I viewed Jesus' ministry and his purpose. So why did Jesus uh, need to reveal God's nature to the people? Well, quite simply because they'd become separated from God and they no longer seemed to understand what God's true nature was like and that they needed forgiveness to be in a relationship with him. So, beginning in Genesis, we read that Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden and uh, where life was really great and they had a personal relationship with God and it seems that uh, they walked and talked with God. Then one day, Satan, the devil, comes along and he deceives them into taking action that would alienate them from God And at the same time, give him, that is the devil, control over their lives. And it might might have seemed like just a small event at the time. But this seemingly small act of rebellion had far-reaching consequences. The obvious result was that from that point on, they were separated from God. In fact, mankind has been separated from God. And we have to work to support ourselves. Dr. Chuck Missler wrote that something think that the physical outcome of this may have been way beyond anything 
that we can imagine. From Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve became separated from God, the physical laws of the universe may have changed. That's an interesting thought, isn't it? What does it mean? To quote Dr. Missler, some suggest that the basic structure of the universe may have been fractured at that time, separating the physical and the spiritual world, which had previously been unified. So the two, what had been one, one entity, um, you know, the, the spiritual world and the physical world, they were separated, torn apart. Sounds a bit like something from a science fiction story, doesn't it? But it caught my attention because I was already thinking about God's plan for the redemption of mankind. And it seems to include the repair and the transformation of the earth. Bringing like he's going to bring the spiritual world and the earth back together again. The Bible talks about a new heaven and a new earth. And I'll briefly touch on that a bit later. So the outcome of Adam and Eve's disobedience was the separating of the spiritual and the earthly worlds. Adam and Eve were stuck on the earth as we know it now and they could no longer just walk into God's presence in the spiritual world as they had been able to do, it would seem. I think the underlying issue was to do with holiness. God is holy and pure, but mankind, by comparison, is not. In the Old Testament, it becomes clear that the people were made unholy uh, and spiritually unclean by the things that they came into contact with, whatever it was that they were touching. When they touched something unclean, that uncleanness was transferred to them. Um, things that made them unclean included um, touching things that related to death, for example, diseased skin, touching dead animals or people, or certain bodily fluids. And while touching these things wasn't a sin, it did make them ritually impure. And in this state, they couldn't come into God's presence. You see, God's purity and holiness is so intense and I've realised that intense is the word, that impurity and unholiness cannot exist in his presence. So if impure people came into God's presence, they would surely die. So they had to be ritually cleansed first. And if you visit the site of the temple in Jerusalem, you'll see at the bottom of the steps leading up to the temple, the uncovered remains of the baths, used by the worshippers to bathe in before they could go into the temple. And I looked through my photos, but the photos didn't really show what it was about. But there was a diagram that I obviously took a photo of, and it showed that here you've got a, like a bath, and there's these steps leading down, and the steps were, were like two people wide. And there was a line marked down the centre of the stairs, and when you were unclean, you went down this side of the stairs, you went through the bath, and when you came out, went up the other side. You were, you were clean, you were pure. And uh, I remember the guide saying, so if the people who were coming up after they'd been made clean, if someone who was the unclean people who were making their way down the stairs touched them, then they became unclean again. It was just sort of how the thinking was. The 
It's not a case of God's presence being dangerous because it was bad. Rather, it's a case of God's presence being dangerous because it's so good. God's purity, his intense holiness and our impurity cannot coexist. They can't, the two things can't be in the same place at the same time. In Genesis, I guess there's only a few people like Noah or Abraham who were considered righteous before God and who were able to survive and speak to God. Other people had to respect God's presence and not come too close. Let's have a look at Exodus 3.16. We were singing the song just in there about you're on holy, about holy ground. And here is we, here's where we see it. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire... It did not burn up. So Moses thought, I'll go over and see this strange sight. Why doesn't the bush burn up? And when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called him from the bush saying, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Moses is attracted to the bush that just keeps burning but doesn't burn up. Uh, I guess we probably assume it was just burning for a few minutes, but maybe it was burning for longer. Maybe it had been burning for hours or maybe even days. In any case, it had been burning long enough to catch Moses' attention and he's gone to have a look. And as he approaches, God speaks to him and uh, tells him not to come any closer and to take off his sandals because he's standing on holy ground. And when Moses realises this, that he's coming to God's holy presence, he covers his face and he's afraid to look at God. The intensity of God's holiness is illustrated again when the temple is built in Jerusalem. Near the centre of the temple, there was a room called um, the holy, most holy place or holy of holies, as we call it sometimes. And this was a focal point of God's presence. It was shut off from the eyes of the worshippers and uh, only the high priest was allowed to enter in there. And then only once a year. So if you're a priest working in the temple, you're in close proximity to God's holy presence, which was potentially dangerous. So how did they survive? The simple answer is they had to be pure. Not just morally pure, but ritually pure. I mentioned a moment ago some of the things that made the people impure. And and while they were in this state, they couldn't come into God's presence. They certainly couldn't enter the temple. The obvious solution was to separate themselves from things that made them ritually impure. And uh, you might be thinking, well, how did they know? Well, 
Fortunately, God gave them detailed instructions in the book of Leviticus so they could know when they had become impure and what it was they had to do to reverse that, to become pure again in God's sight. It's a bit of a heavy going to read through this whole book. But once they had made themselves ritually clean and pure in God's sight, they could go into the temple again. As we read on in the Old Testament, we come to the book written by the prophet Isaiah. And here we find the understanding of uh, personal impurity, or personal purity, not impurity, personal purity enlarged. We get a bigger view of it. In chapter 6, we read of Isaiah having a vision. And in this vision, he uh, sees God in the temple and immediately realises he's not a worthy person to be seeing God and he's afraid (laughs) that he might be destroyed. Let's read from chapter 6, verses 5 to 7. Woe to me, I cried, I'm ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he'd taken with tongs from the altar. And with it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. So Isaiah's sins were somehow taken away when this red-hot coal touched his lips. He's made pure. Before this, if he touched something that was impure, right, touched it, that impurity would be transferred to him. But here's something he's touched, or has touched him, and the purity of the coal has flowed into him. Right? Isaiah isn't destroyed by God's holiness. Instead, he's transformed by God's holiness. The prophet Ezekiel has a vision in which he sees God's holiness transforming the barren land of Israel. Let's read Ezekiel 47, verses 1 to 12. The man brought me back to the entrance to the temple, and I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple toward the east, for the temple faced east. The water was coming down from under the south side of the temple, south of the altar. He then brought me out through the north gate and led me around to the outside to the outer gate facing east, and the water was trickling from the south side. As a man went eastward with a measuring line in his hand, he measured off a thousand cubits and then led me through water that was ankle deep. Now you all want to know how long a thousand cubits is, don't you? It's 533.4 metres, right? So it's about the old bridge across the river, 600 metres long. So it's almost as far as... Across, across the old bridge. He measured off another thousand cubits and led me through water that was knee deep. He measured off another thousand <clears throat> and led me through water that was up to the waist. He measured off another thousand to know, but now it was a river that I could not cross because the water had risen and was deep enough to swim in a river that no one could cross. And he said to me, or he asked me, Son of man, 
Do you see this? Then he led me back to the bank of the river. And when I arrived there, I saw a great number of trees on each side of the river. And he said to me, this water flows towards the eastern region and goes down into the Arabah, where it enters the Dead Sea. And when it empties into the sea, the salt water becomes fresh. Swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows. There will be large numbers of fish because this water flows there there and makes the salt water fresh. So when the, where the river flows, everything will live. Fishermen will stand along the shore from Engedi to En Eglam and there will be places for spreading nets. The fish there, the fish will be of many kinds, like the fish of the Mediterranean Sea. But the swamps and the marshes will not become fresh. They will be left for salt. Fruit trees and all kinds of all kinds will grow along the banks of the river. Their leaves will not wither, nor will their fruit fail. And every month they will bear fruit because the water from the sanctuary flows to them. The fruit will serve for food and their leaves for healing. So Ezekiel has this dream in which he sees water trickling out from the temple. And as it flows away from the temple, it becomes deeper and deeper. And uh, not only that, it's become much wider. It's that wide you can't cross it. So if you're thinking it's about a bit over two kilometres from where it's a trickle to where it's that big you can't get through it, it's only two kilometres away, it's obviously increasing inside. Not only that, as it flows along, it transforms the countryside. The trees and the plants are now growing in what was desert and many living creatures are now living there. When it reaches the Dead Sea, which has got a salinity of almost exactly 10 times that of the sea, normal seawater, the water becomes fresh and all sorts of fish are living there. So the Israelite people understood that they, before this, well, the Israelite people understood that they had to make themselves pure first before they could enter the temple and before they could come near to their holy God. But Ezekiel's vision seems to be showing this reversal because here in his vision, God's holiness is now living water and it's flowing out from the temple, purifying the people and transforming the land that it comes into contact with as it's flowing along. Now you might wonder when you read this well what does this mean but then you come to the New Testament and you see Jesus at work as he travelled around he touched people and they were healed of all sorts of chronic diseases he touched them and his holiness and purity flowed out of him and transformed the people in need when Jesus touched people their impurity didn't transfer to him his purity transferred to them. Let's look at one of those cases. We're going to look at Luke 8, 43 to 48. And a woman was there who'd been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him, that's Jesus, and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. And when they all denied it, 
Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, Someone has touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. And in the presence of the people, she told why she had touched him and how she'd been instantly healed. Then he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Now, in, as you look through Leviticus, is what makes you unclean. This issue of blood made the woman ceremonially unclean. That's in Leviticus 15. And she shouldn't have been there where she could come into contact with people. And this is why she didn't come openly to Jesus, but crept up in the crowd and was embarrassed when Jesus asked who had touched him. Because under the law in Leviticus 15, uh, anyone she touched, including Jesus, would be considered ceremonially unclean. So that's why it's, it's, when you go back there, it says, um, you know, she said uh, she came trembling and fell at his feet and in the presence of all the people she told why she touched him. So she was really owning up, saying, well, you know, I'm unclean, I've got this, which was embarrassing for her, but she came out and said it. But when she touched the hem of Jesus' cloak, his, his purity flowed out into her and she was healed. Jesus is like that holy coal in Isaiah's vision. Jesus is the human embodiment of God's holiness. Streams of water flowed from him. There's many references in the Bible um, to streams of living water. So we'll look at one of those. In John 4, we read of Jesus coming into a town in Samaria called Sychar, where he steps, sorry, he stops at the well and um, gets into a conversation with a woman who has come there to draw water in the middle of the day. Reading from John 4, verses 7 to 13. When the Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews don't associate with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? And Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him, give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water that I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up into eternal life. And as we read on, uh, we see that the woman grasps what Jesus is saying to her and uh, her spirit would seem as transformed. And she goes and excitedly calls the people of the town 
to come and see Jesus and to discover for themselves if he's really the Christ, as he's told her. The people's interest in Jesus must have been more than just passing because it says Jesus stayed there for two days. In his ministry, Jesus was effectively opening the tap so that the the streams of living water could flow out to all who believed. In John, we find it written in John 7. I'm going to read verses 37 to 39. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let everyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within him. And by this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. But up to that point, up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. Jesus is telling us there that streams of living water would flow from his disciples. It would be like God's temple that Ezekiel spoke of, where the stream of living water was flowing from, flowing out of. Through Jesus' disciples, God's light, light and hope would flow into the world. Guess what? In 2022, we are his disciples and streams of living water are flowing out from us. When we put our faith in Jesus as our Lord and Saviour, our sins are forgiven and we are now pure in pure before God. And look, sure, we're not perfect and uh, we all sin probably multiple times per day. But when we ask for forgiveness from God, he will always forgive us in Jesus' name. It's a, it's a done deal. Think about it. No matter what background we come from, we have now come to a point as Christians where we are forgiven and pure in God's sight. Right? We are now transformed and the rivers of living water are flowing from us and touching those we meet. Right? Just let that sink in because God is using us more than we might realise. <clears throat> Revelations 21, 6-7. He said to me, it is done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this and I will be their God and they will be my children. What a promise. Let's finish by reading Revelation 22 verses 1 and 2. Then the angel showed me the, the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, and down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the trees were for the healing of the nations." And when, when we looked at it just a little bit earlier, the other reading was it talked in Ezekiel, it was just for healing. It seemed like it was for healing for us. But here it's talking about the leaves of the tree are for the healing of 
the nations. This river of life flows from God's very throne. It's flowing from God's very presence. In the close of the book of Revelation, Ezekiel's river is flowing out of God's presence and into the whole universe. (laughs) And it seems it's going to be rejoining the spiritual and physical universe. There will be a new earth. The river of life we experience in God's presence brings us to us holiness and healing, just as Isaiah discovered when the red hot coal touched his lips. So reach out and touch him and let his holiness and healing flow into you today and you will be transformed. Amen. Lord, let's just pray. Lord, I just thank you that there's this river of life that's just flowing out from your throne. It's flowing from you and it's flowing into each of us. Lord, we just want to reach out, touch it, be healed, be made pure, forgiven, healed, restored, all these things, Lord, that just comes with it. And Lord, I just thank you for this hope that you've put in us, that this river is flowing out for us. And Lord, we are your people and this river is flowing out from us as well. And Lord, I just thank you that you've put this great hope in us that we're not just here using up oxygen on the earth, but we're here because you've got a plan and you're using us. And so, Lord, I just thank you for that. Lord, I just pray your blessing over each person who's here this day. For those who are listening online, Lord, that your presence and your blessing would be on each person, that we would know that you are touching us now. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. If you enjoyed today's podcast, make sure you subscribe to stay up to date with all our latest sermons. If you would like to get connected, you can find us on Facebook at Bridge City Church or come along to our Sunday service at 10am.